0: Was working for a church called Birmingham Christian Centre ever since 1996. And uh, while I was uh, in that church, I was invited to uh, speak and do a leadership lecture for a group of six form students. I went up to that lecture, I hadn't met the deputy head, uh, and uh, she came running in at the very last minute and said, "Uh, Our speaker today uh, is Jenny from the BBC. And uh, I was working for Birmingham Christian Centre, which was affectionately known as BCC. And so I sat in the front row, thinking, "That's me." Um, and so I got up on the stage to the amazement of all of these sixth form students, and I almost started by saying, "I used to be Jenny, but now I'm Johnny." Um, which I thought would grab their attention straight away, but we had a fantastic time. Uh, as John says, uh, I'm originally from the northwest of England. You may slightly pick up some tinges in my accent. I was originally from Liverpool, lived in Cumbria um, a number of years. Uh, again, I've been down in Birmingham for about 20 years. Thank goodness I haven't picked up that accent. Um, <laughs> In many ways, I've been working for uh, Renewal uh, for the last 20 months, Uh, so a relatively uh, new ministry post, but uh, enjoying working with David Carr there, and we're seeing fantastic things, and they bring greetings from Renewal as a Church. We are now holding nine services over four locations on a Sunday, and we're just seeing God move exponentially uh, across the Midlands region, and we've just got some hungry plans that God is going to break out and do so much more. As John said, uh, you don't know very much about me, uh, so I'm a secretive person, so that's it really. Um, I'm married to Louise. Uh, you know what they say behind every successful man is a surprised woman. And um, uh, we have been married for 14 years. We've got a seven-year-old daughter called Ava. Uh, they're enjoying the weekend away uh, as I've come uh, just to spend uh, some time with you both this morning and this evening uh, at your celebration. Uh, I was following my sat-nav last night and got a little bit uh, out of sync as different roads keep changing on it and never buy a second-hand sat-nav. You know, when you press home, you end up at someone else's house, uh, which is so, so difficult. But I really hope God is going to speak to you and navigate something for you today as we uh, land. So I've got a message title for you today, and it's called Good. And I was really interested to hear some of the prophetic words that came out uh, throughout your worship time uh, in the service so far, uh, talking about whether you can be good enough or whether um, we actually feel being a Christian is about just doing good things and doing all of the right things. A couple of uh, weeks back, uh, one of the children at Renewal came up to me and said, Is you Johnny? And uh, I'm so proud of the education system in Solihull, Uh, so I said I is, uh, (laughs) because... I didn't have time for grammar correction, and uh, he says, well, I've got a joke for you, Johnny, because I know you do lots of different things like that in your sermons, and so I said, well, go on, fire away, and if it's good, you never know, it might get out there in the ether, and he said, why did the chicken cross the road? So I said, well, if it's the traditional response, it's to get to the other side, and he said, no, it's not. He said, it's to get to the idiot's house. So I was left a little bit flummoxed. And then, because he was on a roll, he said, knock, knock. So I said, who's there? And he said, the chicken. (laughs) And then he walked off and left me in the place standing. Now, it reminded me of a moment... When uh, Ava was only three years old, our daughter was three years old, and I walked into our lounge and she was reading her baby bear Bible. Somebody had got her a baby bear Bible where it's uh, kind of like a cuddly book, but there's uh, loads of the stories of the Bible all through there. And she was reading it and I was walking straight in thinking, oh, look at that. Without even us reading the stories, Ava's picking up her Bible and she's reading it for herself. So I said to Ava, what are you reading? And she says, I'm reading in Isaiah about Meher Shalal Hashbashbaz, which is a very Hebrew uh, concept. No, she wasn't doing that at all. Um, That's just to make you think she's a spiritual genius. Um, But I I said, what are you reading? And then I noticed that she was holding it upside down. Down, so all of my images about how uh, what a spiritual genius Ava were was immediately uh, broken, and um, I felt God's spirit say something to me at that exact moment, and it was this: "That's how you often read my word, Johnny." And I felt it so strongly because often I think we get the Bible upside. Down And we miss the point of what God is really trying to say. And often as Christians, or when we're building church, when we come to church, we feel we have to be good enough. We feel we have to be in a place where it's about all of the good things, doing the right things. But I wonder if we get some of it upside down and wrong way round. So I'd like you to turn in Luke chapter ten if you've got a Bible or a, an iPad, an iPhone, an iMac, an iPod, which makes you i-bankrupt in different ways. And we're going to go to a very, very well-known story about being good. It's affectionately known as the Good Samaritan, um, and it's about being good. It's about helping people in trouble. Right or maybe we've missed the whole point of the story and so we ask ourselves this question what does it mean to be good because the good samaritan is a story that most people have heard a well-known charity is named after this we we use it as a phrase to say that that was Uh, a person who's helped someone who was in deep trouble, who was in deep need. Um, But when I first tried to answer the question about whether I was ready to be a Christian, whether I was ready to give my life, you see I was brought up in church and it was an old church, and not just the building, my uh, youth leader was 120 and uh, I I felt I went through a cycle in church where I was bad and somehow that that, that made uh, God mad with me, and because God was mad with me, then I was now sad, um, and now God was glad. So I went through that cycle of thinking, this is just how it is in church. But being good enough, I think we miss some of the point of the story. And so this story about the Good Samaritan... Help me answer a a little bit of a question, and John's already mentioned it today, that you will never be good enough. That actually in the gospel, no one was good enough. And there's something that this story brings alive. Because if we think the importance of this story is about helping people who are in trouble, we could make it about that, and it is definitely kind to help people who are in trouble. It's definitely the right thing, the good thing to do. I loved seeing that you've got a food bank here, and that you're reaching out into your community, and you're trying to impact young people, um, you're trying to connect with families, you're doing lots of different things, and they're, they're the right things to do, of course, because we are called to make a difference, we're called to uh, transform culture, to be light and life in our cultures and in our communities. Um, But if we make this story about just helping people in trouble, I think we miss the point of the story. So I'm going to read a number of verses and I'm going to stop and then I'm going to get some interaction and hopefully get some of you involved. As I really believe God wants to just teach us something fresh about his word. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25, starts off like this. And I'm just going to read uh, f- uh, three verses from 25 to 28. And it says this, uh, from my version, which is New Living Translation. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, well, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So the first interesting thing is that Jesus tells this story in response to a question. And there's two things you need to know about this question, because this question gets asked by an expert in religious law, a teacher of the law. He is one of the religious establishment, he's one of the elite, he's one who is coming to Jesus already with an opinion. He's not coming to Jesus looking for an answer. He's already got an answer in mind. Because the Bible tells us that he stood up to test Jesus. Because he's already got something, a point that he wants to get across to Jesus. So the first thing is this, this religious uh, a teacher of, of the law has already got an answer that he wants to come to. And I think a lot of people approach God like that. A lot of people want to approach God by saying I've already got my idea of what this should look like and so that's what I want to fit all of this Jesus stuff, all of this gospel stuff into. The second thing that... Uh, the a teacher of the law comes with is when he uses the phrase eternal life, it's not like our understanding in our culture today where we think it's life after death. That's our eternal life. Our eternal life is after we, uh, we die from, from this world, we live on. We are everlasting. We carry on into a heaven place. And we kind of box eternal life in that capacity. But the teacher of the law would have known that most of the Jewish people already believed they were God's chosen people. And because they were already God's chosen people, they were the ones who were supposed to have the God life right now. They were supposed to have peace, which would have been a completeness, a wholeness in their world. They were supposed to have everything go their way. God was supposed to bless them if they did all the right things. And so when he's talking about eternal life, he's talking about, I want a quality life right now, because at this moment, I don't see that around Israel. I see that we're occupied by the Roman Empire. I don't see things going our way. In fact, he may have had even personal things going on, personal circumstances, and he wanted to say, God, where are you in this? I don't see you in this. I don't see the best, blessed, quality life That I am supposed to have. And that's what he's coming. And so Jesus, uh, in response to this question, how do I inherit eternal life? Jesus comes back with another question. So his answer is really a question. And that's what the good rabbis, the good teachers of the day would, would do. Because what they would do is they would ask another question so that you unpacked a little bit of your understanding. So Jesus responds with this answer, how do you read it? And, and the man is already ready with his uh, prescribed response because he comes back to Jesus and he already quotes two um, uh, verses from the Torah, which would have been the first five books of our Bible, which were, uh, which were known as the Law. Because every Jewish person would want to fulfill the law perfectly so that they would get this quality life. And so the man comes back and he quotes Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and your strength. And Leviticus 19 18, love your neighbour as yourself. And he's already got a prescribed response. And so he brings that response straight back to Jesus and saying, this is is what I think about God. This is what I think is the right things, and if I do both of these things, then I should be getting everything that I want, and should be living. And so, Jesus responds with that question, which is really another answer to another question, by going, right, you've got it right. That's it. Now, at that moment... Shouldn't that be the conversation over? Because let's just look at the exchange. The man has asked Jesus a question. Jesus has given an answer which was really a question. And the man has answered Jesus' question. And Jesus says, you're right, you've got it right. Shouldn't that be it? Shouldn't that be the exchange over the end? Except it isn't. And have you noticed we're not even at the Good Samaritan part yet? Because it's only when you understand this question, you realise how brilliant and provocative Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan is. Because it comes from this context. Now verse 29 then gives us the key of everything that is going on. Actually, I believe in every human heart, not just in this man's human heart. But here is the crux of where people are at in relationship to God. And it says this in verse 29. The man wanted to justify himself, justify his own actions. So he asked Jesus, well, and who is my neighbor? Because basically the man was saying, yeah, Jesus, we can have all this conversation, blah, 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 about about the law and about what's the right way. But me and you, we don't agree. We don't agree about who God is for. We don't agree about what God should do. We don't agree On the way that God is working in our world. And so the man wants to justify himself. So he had an agenda all along. His question was because he wanted to get under the surface and probe Jesus. And say, actually, there's something I want to pick with you. I've got a bone to pick with you. So all of that blah, blah, blah about quoting the law was really because he wanted to justify himself. Now, 500 years ago, there was a priest in Nuremberg who who nailed up to his cathedral doors a reformation. A statement, his name was Martin Luther. And when he nailed that reformation in it, part of that way forward was to say, you are not justified by the things that you do. You are justified by faith and faith alone. Because your biggest need is always going to be a saviour. Not whether you get things right And whether God's got a good plan for you, it's about whether you're justified through your faith in a Saviour, one who would bring salvation to you. And so, in every human heart, every human person that I've come across, my own heart, my family, friends, everybody we've been in interaction with, every human heart wants to justify himself or themselves. Because they're still believing, somehow, deep down, I'm good, aren't I? I'm a decent person, aren't I? I'm a nice person. And if you think the opposite to that, if you think, I'm not a nice person. If only people knew. If only people knew what I'd done. If only people have known what I've said or what I've thought. Then actually we're still in an exact uh, identical place. Because we're still in a place where we need to say. And so it's at this point that Jesus replies with a story. And it's at this point we start to get interested. So I'm going to need some help right now. Are you ready to get some people involved? So, John, can I get you to be a man who's travelling on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho? Is that okay? So if you'd like to come... Uh, now, I need two people who are going to rob and beat up your pastor. Um, so... Any volunteers, but uh, probably this might be held against you in future things. So, uh, where was, uh, is it Pete who I first met when I first arrived? Dan. Dan, come on, you were a fantastic host, so I know that you were so welcoming, you really cared about what was going on outside, so this is totally out of character for you to be a uh, somebody who's going to mug somebody on the road. So you could stand over there, uh, and I need another person, is there any, uh, can I have one more volunteer just to come and join Dan? Go on, Kieran, come on Kieran. Oh yes, now we've got a bit of muscle here. Uh, I can see the sweat on John's brow already. Um, now, uh, some of our worship team, I need two of our worship team, so um, I, I've forgotten a, a couple of names, I think, was it Pete here, or oh, Mike, Michael, Mike, Mike, come on down and join us, and um, again, sorry, uh, lady leading worship today, Beth, Beth, come and join us, Beth, is that alright, are you still around there, no she's not there. Oh sorry okay um so another member of the worship team can I just have one of the worship team Nikki is that right <laughs> I know you're shaking your head profusely but that would really help me out and then uh Becky I'm going to come to you at, you know at last okay so we're going to uh, come into into that place at last so Here's the story of the Good Samaritan. You probably know it. You've probably heard it a dozen, dozen times. But a man is travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this is important that you know about the the uh, trail between Jerusalem and Jericho. In your Bible, it will tell you that from Jerusalem to Jericho, he went down. So if you read the story and you read the context in Luke 10, it will say that a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho because the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a mountain pass, it was a mountain trail, it was only a few feet wide. And so because of that, it made it very treacherous in terms of the journey. So the man's travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's walking along, and two robbers set upon him and mug him, take his, he's a pastor so he doesn't have a big wallet. Um, (laughs) There we go. So they, they set upon him, and they leave him for half dead. Well done, robbers, that was a fantastic, would you give it up for our robbers? Now here then we get two people who pass by. Okay? We get a priest and a Levite, a temple assistant, would effectively have been a worship leader. That's 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 one. Okay, so who's the priest? Come on, we've got a bit of time casting. So Michael, the priest, comes along. Are you alright though, Mayor John? Alright. Just see that as a retreat, okay, <laughs> down, down there at the moment. So as he comes along, he passes by on the other side. Now, no, stop there, stop there. Okay, you have to remember, you're a visual aid, not, uh, not to think for yourself, okay. <laughs> and so, Michael passes by, but here's the important thing. Because this road was a mountain trail, there was no other side. So Jesus is being funny. Jesus is being ironic. There used to be a song when I was a student that would say, it was like rain on your wedding day, a free ride that you'd already paid. Isn't it a little bit ironic? And Jesus is being completely ironic because there was only one side here, which was the cliff side, the the rock face. The other side, there was no other side. You would go over the edge into destruction. So the priest passes by on the other side, which isn't there. And then the temple assistant, thank you, you're doing fantastic, but just wait right there. And then the temple assistant passes by on the other side, that isn't there. And we have made, in our Sunday school days, and in our telling of this story, we have made these two people to be out as the bad guys. Because surely they should have done something about it, right? So when I grew up and I heard this story, I was saying, oh, bad priest. You know, bad temple assistant. Because why didn't they stop? They, they looked at this and they thought, I don't want to get involved or something like that. That's what we think, right? Wrong. We've missed the point. The priest and the Levite were on their way from Jerusalem, the temple, to Jericho to go and administer their service. They would administer their, their ministry. And because they were going on the way to administer their ministry, in Jewish law, if they had touched a dead body, or they'd got any blood on them, or been involved with anything that... I mean, he's been beaten up, right? He's been left for dead, right? If either of them had touched that body, they were now unclean. They were now no longer allowed to serve. Jesus is making a point about the law here. He's making a point that the law won't get you over the line. Following all the right things will not get you to heaven. Doing all the good things will not get you there. So fantastic. Would you give it up for these guys here? (laughs) Wonderful. John, we're coming right to you. Okay. And then Becky, come on, you know, kind of uh, uh, our Samaritan. Okay. I'll uh, make this uh, a time cast. So the Samaritan then comes on the scene. And what would have been important if Jesus was making this story about helping people in need, who would have this character been uh, most likely to have been? Well, I think Jesus would have made his point by saying a teacher of the law then comes along and helps the man. Because if the teacher of the law comes on and is the hero of the story, Jesus could have gone back to the teacher of the law and said, "Now go on, that 's what I 'm saying to you. Go and do the same, because look, those people they lived it that way they, they, they went by, but you didn't, and that 's how you're going to get internal life. But he doesn't use that analogy. He uses a character that all of the Jewish people would have hated because the Jews and the Samaritans didn 't get on. The Jews and the Samaritans were like being at a Rangers Celtic football match. It was kind of that level of angst and of, uh, it went back generation after generation after generation. And so we use a phrase today, the good Samaritan, but the good Samaritan would have been an oxymoron because every Jewish person would go, I'm sorry, Samaritans aren't good. They're not good people at all. In fact, they're the lowest life forms you could ever imagine. And so Jesus brings that character into the story. And the Samaritan comes along. And the Samaritan not only uh, sees. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Oscar, come in for you. (laughs) Not only sees, but does something about it. So uh, binds up the man's wounds. Lifts the man up. (laughs) With a bit of help wonderful, puts him on a donkey and takes him off to the local inn. Would you give a hand to everyone who's been involved? So the last character would have been next to impossible for everybody listening to the story to have imagined. And I just want you to bring you to the end uh, from verse 36 and, and make just a couple of points just to finish with. And it says this, verse 36, so after Jesus tells this story, he then says the man um, not only takes, uh, the Samaritan takes the man uh, to to uh, an inn to look after him, but he then pays double. He pays a double amount for Uh, the man to get back right again. And that's important. But then verse 36 of Luke 10 says this. Now which of these three, remember the interaction, remember how it's all started, question, answer, question, answer. He says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by the robbers and bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, yes. Now go and do the same. And so the whole thing starts with the expert asking Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? They have a little bit of an exchange. Jesus tells this story which seems to ramble off into the distance. And then all of a sudden, it comes back all the way around like a boomerang. Hits the man in the back of the head as if he's opening his front door and seeing a chicken (laughs) on the doorstep. See, that was cleverer than you (laughs) realised. And how does the man respond? Because Jesus unpacks this story and talks about the Samaritan, but what does the man say? The man can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Do you see how deep it's going? The one who showed him mercy. He can't even answer Jesus' question. And so Jesus replies, yeah, that's the one. Now go and do the same. And do you see why we started this whole message by talking about what's the point of the story? Because you can make it about an RAC moment and about helping people in trouble, um, which is fine. And again, I just think we should still be doing that kind of stuff. But Jesus is calling us to something way bigger, way deeper, way more transcendent. Because Jesus is showing us three things, I believe. Jesus is showing us exactly what he's about to do. The first thing, this is Jesus. The, the, the world is broken, wounded, beaten up, and is lying with no one else to help them. The law cannot help people find God. And so the law will have to pass by and will end up being in a destructive place because it won't get people where they need to get to. And so Jesus is saying, I I'm going to be that Samaritan. I am going to be the one that people have hated and despised and in some way don't understand and, and don't even see what's coming next. But I'm going to be the one who will restore a healing and broken world. And that's why, why I've come. And so I will be there to bind up people's wounds, that prophetic word that somebody gave today. Jesus is the one who will help you have your wounds found up. It won't be about your guilt or your shame. It won't be about doing right things. It won't even be about uh, whether you can make recompense. And, And again, all of those things are right in itself, but only Jesus will put you back together. And so Jesus is trying to give that and bring that straight in to all of those who are listening to say, do you realise you need a saviour? And this is what I'm about to do. The second thing Jesus shows is he's showing the gospel. Because the gospel doesn't just put you back on your feet. You see, if it was about getting out of jail free and, and finding love and acceptance and forgiveness, then do you know what? If God just left us to our own devices again, we would mess it up all over again. And so Jesus is demonstrating the gospel because after the man was brought back well, in the inn, Jesus gave two uh, silver coins, which would have been worth two weeks' wages, which was more than enough for the man to get well again. Jesus is demonstrating the gospel. It's not just about your forgiveness moment. It's not just about having a birthday when you become a Christian. It's about a life. Jesus is bringing you to say the gospel is about giving you a life. Not just sorting out what went wrong, it's about now making everything that should be right. Not just for now, but forever and ever and ever. And actually the two silver coins would have been a double portion. And in Jewish culture a double portion was about an inheritance. It was about everything you're going to get in the future As well. And the third thing that Jesus shows is not just what he's about to do, not just a ball about the gospel. He's saying, and this is how God looks at all people. This is how God looks at everybody because the gospel is for everybody. And so the labels you put on a certain group of people, the labels that you put on those people that you don't understand, those people that you hate, or those people that you struggle with, even the people that have hurt you, mistreated you in the past, even those people who have caused you intimidation, caused you great sorrow and pain, Jesus is saying the gospel's for them too. The gospel's completely for them. So here's the question for you. And the question was... How do you read it? So when it comes down to being good, when it comes down to the gospel, when it comes down to being church, when it comes down to being light and life, have you really understood what Jesus has done for you? Have you let that transform your life? And have you let that be the the defining moment of everything, of, of who you are and why you live this Christian life? Not just to go out there and do good things. You go out there and do good things because it's transformative. It's because it's bringing an eternal life concept. That God has come to earth. And the best life is there for everybody. And the call is out there for everybody. So I want to give you two, two different challenges. Maybe the band can come and join us and just have a closing song with us. But let me give you two challenges the first one is for you. And this is an internal challenge. How do you read it? How do you read what Jesus has done for you? Because can I just say, if you still feel in some way that God can't forgive you, or you can't even forgive yourself for something you've done in your past, you have missed the power of the gospel. Because Jesus was nailed to that cross. And do you know what? There is no worse that you could ever be involved with as a human being than actually putting the Son of God on the cross. That's what Jesus did for all of us. And so sometimes we still live in guilt and sometimes we still... The power of the cross has broken it. It has broken all of that over any of our lives, whatever any of us has ever done. And so our first internal challenge is can we live with the power of the gospel can you live free and forgiven and liberated, knowing every day this is what Jesus has done for you? This is not something you should ever get to, get, get beyond. We don't suddenly mature as a Christian and, and sort of almost outgrow the gospel. The gospel, Paul, Paul would write, the gospel is everything for me. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's not about me maturing beyond a level of understanding. Actually, every morning, every evening, the gospel should be just coming through our lives, energising us. How do you read it? What, What does God want to do in your life today? What does God want to speak into you today? And then the second thing is, the gospel is for everyone. Who are you going to impact? Who are you going to touch? Because it's not just about passing by. It's not about making people do the right things. You know, one of the things I say often at renewal, we accept everybody before we expect them to change. Everybody's welcome at renewal. Because Jesus, Jesus come to accept everyone. Now, that doesn't mean I agree with everybody's lifestyle. That doesn't mean I agree with everyone's behavior or choices. But but I know this. To become a Christian, salvation is you're justified by faith in what Jesus has done, not what you have done. You are justified. And that's what the gospel's for. That's, that's for everybody all over St. Austell. For all over St. Austell, it's what Jesus has done for them. We accept them and try and bring them into a relationship with God on that basis first. And then... We allow the power of the Spirit to change people. And so that's the power of the Gospel. And I want to give you that external challenge to say, how are you bringing the power of the Gospel into people's hearts and lives? So I wonder if you would just stand for a minute and just, let's just pause and then the bands could lead us in one final song. But let me just pray and if you could close your eyes and maybe just even ask God, for yourself, how do you read it? What is God trying to tell you today? About who you are? About what God has done? About what the gospel is about? Maybe you've got somebody just on your heart. A friend, a work colleague, a family member, a neighbour. Somebody that you've met in the community. Somebody within the church. And God is just probing something to say, go and show something to them about the power of the gospel. So Lord Jesus, I want to pray that the power of the gospel will be so alive in light and life. I thank you that Paul wrote that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. And actually that good news that Jesus has not expected any of us to be good, to do good things, to get to him. But actually we live like that because we're becoming more like him. We want to pray that the power of the gospel would just break forth in our hearts and our lives